Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. And now, it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Hello, welcome back. Hi there. To Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Still the same title. We don't have enough brains to know to shorten it. Anyway, (laughs) my name is Mike Sweeney. I'm Jesse Gaskell. And we are the hosts of this podcast, as well as right. former Conan writers, right. future Conan ex-friends. <laughs> yeah. Future running into Conan in a parking lot. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah, let's get together. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, shit. I shouldn't have said, let's get together. That was too needy. I know. But then he'll cancel. Oh. It'll be fine. Don't right, worry. Right, right, right. It all works out. We all know how it's going to play out. <laughs> Anyway, hello. How are hello. you? Oh, I'm great. So when we last left off, you are somewhere. Yes. An undisclosed location. Right. Doing punch up on a movie. Yes. I gave kind of a bad hint last time, which. <laughs> oh, I thought that was a great hint. Why do you? That well, was a great hint. It, Very I clever. Been, I should have been more specific, I guess. I don't think okay. so. You can get, I mean. We'll get more specific. Yeah. Cause we're going to try to stretch this out yeah, over 28 are. shows. <laughs> And that way we don't have to talk about anything else. It's like if the pace of Wordle is a little too fast for you, (laughs) even less Guess where Jesse is in 28 tries, not six. (laughs) Over the course of a year. Hey, a a bell should go off. It's our first mention of Wordle. That's right. We might be the last, I'm sure the last podcast to mention Wordle in their opening remarks. It's already out. Are you playing (laughs) it? I'm assuming you are. I am. Yeah, me too. I like it. Yeah, I mean, you it's, know, fun. it's fun. It's low stakes. There's no timer, which is great. I add high stakes. My wife stands there with a gun at my head. <laughs> and if I don't get it, it's like she's she's going to pull the trigger. You do it while you're driving. <laughs> right. If I don't get it, I'm not going to stop at this stoplight. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if people play it while driving. Of course they do. Maybe they are. Yeah, I'm sure. So. Oh, yeah. So I was going to give another hint. My last hint yes. was that this is a, I'm in a former monarchy. Uh-huh. And then my new hint is that I'm somewhere where there are no squirrels. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is something I always notice because I am hardwired like my dog and <laughs> she... You two are always on the hunt Yes, for we're always hunting for squirrels. Semi-rodents. And I, I had noticed this, but I confirmed via the internet uh-huh. and it is true that there are no squirrels here. Wow. Mm-hmm. There must be some sort of, what's the big squirrel substitute on wherever you are? Uh, there must be something oh, squirrel adjacent. Like no? It might give it away if I say oh, it. Oh, let's not talk there about it. There are other rodents, but they're okay. more exotic. Oh, <laughs> an exotic locale. Uh, okay. That's a good hint. No squirrels mm-hmm. and a former monarchy. Mm-hmm. I would love to rule a country that didn't have squirrels in it. That would be like... Yeah. That would be my You'd first be the accomplishment. King of that country. I'd take credit for the lack <laughs> for of exterminating the squirrels. But there is, you're right, there's always some other thing. There's always like a something that people end up considering to be pests mm. in the rodent family. Well, it does sound like you're awfully busy if you have time to think <laughs> notice there are no there are no squirrels anywhere. <laughs> you're having sounds like a lot of downtime wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Lots of long walks through the park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, okay. So yeah, I'll keep thinking of clues. You guys keep thinking of guesses. Okay. Yes. And if you get it right, you get to come visit me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I think I that's a great. That. Well, if you. Oh yeah, if you pay for it yourself, and we don't speak while you're here. Oh no, I meant you, Jesse. Pay for. Oh, it. if I pay for it. <laughs> well, yeah, you just invited somebody. I assume it's on your. No, dime. I think if they get it right, they get to come visit here themselves on their own dime, and. Uh huh. They and I and don't try to find you. Interact with them. Yeah, they can try to find me. I'll be wearing a striped shirt. Okay. Horizontal or vertical? Uh, well, that would give it away, wouldn't it? Okay. All right. No more hints. Yeah. If anyone listening wants to figure this out, instead of doing Wordle, <laughs> it, this is a new Wordle substitute. What about you? Where are you right now? I'll give you a hint. It's the same place I've been sitting for the last two and a half years every day. <laughs> And it's starting to smell bad. Well, at least you have your sense of smell. That means you don't have COVID. That's true. That's good. You know what? I started uh, training to do that stupid Alcatraz swim. Are you serious? Yeah. That's great. And then I realized I don't think I've ever trained for anything in in my life. You've never tried to do anything. I've never tried to (laughs) accomplish anything. It's always just come easy. Yeah. Like I'm kind of making a plan. Yeah. Training's... I mean, it's so nice to have a goal, I think, because then it it gives you purpose for your training. And just for my sad existence now, I'm just like... For your life, yeah. Are there online... Do you find a training schedule for doing it? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But I got to (laughs) watch. Oh, the gear is the the best part. Yeah. It counts the laps for you. Like, it it figures out when you flip. Oh, cool. And so you can daydream or do whatever, and it tells you... So how many laps is the Alcatraz swim? Uh Well, that's a mile and a half. It's a mile and a half. So that's a that's a lot of laps. But you have to do it in like an hour tops. Oh, or else what happens? Well... They just leave you in there? You can't sign up for it unless you can do a 40-minute pool mile. Mm. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Is A, swim a mile. Yeah. And then find out and get it down to under 40 minutes wow. in a pool. So, so that's like two goals right there. Yeah. That's really... I mean, that's pretty grueling. Especially when the consequences of not doing it are death. Right. Once you're out there. No, I'm sure they'll, I mean, they fish you right out. Yeah, yeah. So. They just have a little hook on your back and you just pull you out. Consequences being mortified. Oh, yeah. In front of fish. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm, I I still like in the pool, this pool I swim at in Pasadena, there are people who I think. Like women who I think last had children in the 1950s are whizzing by me. It's just, oh wow, oh boy, it's hardcore there. And so you have to, and you have to share lanes with people. So they're like, are they lapping you on in the laps? Oh yeah, no, I I don't. I go in, it's off peak, mm. so so no one will get because people would get mad at me <laughs> if they had they swim around this big lamox. They would honk. Yeah, basically, and swimmers are like they're like cyclists. They're I, I look, the word is assholes, <laughs> but no, you know, like, like yes. the way bikers sometimes just Very are like, aggro. and once they're going, yeah. anything that gets in their way no, stop is signs, a problem baby to them. Strollers. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Please keep us posted on your progress. Oh yes. Okay. Our guest today, it's writer and comic and artist, Jose Arroyo. Jose Arroyo. Let's get him in here. Yeah, we've had we had him on the show once before. If you've been with us since the beginning, we have spoken to Jose before, but we got to go a little more in depth with him this time about his beginnings at Conan. And he's been with the show since late night. So he has a lot of perspective. And he's had so many great bits on the show over the years. Oh, yes. Many of them starring Jose Arroyo by coincidence. Always a pleasure to chat with Jose. Yes, here's Jose. You know, it's funny. We were going to get together today. Yeah. Yes. Here in L.A., the writers have kind of created a very active um, alumni Association. I don't yes. have to call it, but we've yeah, been... we're the seniors who graduated, but keep <laughs> hanging around the high school. Right. We're loitering around the parking lot. <laughs> the school got torn down, and we're still in the parking. Lot. It's a Walmart now. Yeah, we were going to get together, and then the rain, which mm-hmm. is, was rare here, just washed us, washed it all away. So yes, yeah, we have a very low tolerance for discomfort in LA. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. Well, Jose, we—I I mean. 
we want to have you on for many reasons and we'll, we can talk about whatever you want, but we did want to talk a little bit about your beginnings on the show. Cause we've had you on inside Conan before, and we've talked a bit about Conan without borders. Um, but I don't know that we ever really got to hear your origin story of how you ended up <laughs> coming to the show and how you got into late night writing in the first place too. Yeah. Bitten by a radioactive hack. <laughs> and went from there. My origin story was I was working for Dennis Miller on HBO. Uh, he was my first person to ever hire me to write a professional show, uh, Dennis Miller Live. That was only 26 weeks a year. So then I had half a year free and politically incorrect with Bill Maher was like down the hall from the, uh, the Dennis Miller show. And I would go over there and staff write over there for a little while. When both those shows kind of wound up ending, uh, I started scrambling around. I asked my agent to help me find another job, and I got a call that they wanted me to interview at Conan. And uh, this was in 2002. So I have been with Conan. This is 2021 now. Yeah. 18, 19 years. And, you know, it, right. it, I've been there for a really long time. Did it fly by? It kind of does in the same way that anything you're super, super engaged with, I, I'm going to say like a video game that you really love, that you raise your head and it's like been 10 hours and you've been playing a video game for 10 hours. Mm. And you realize you've gotten nothing done. I've wasted my life. Right? <laughs> but it was 10 years. But it was 10 years. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> So you were doing both those shows in Los Angeles. In Los right? Angeles, yes. Okay. So my agent said, hey, they're looking for somebody over at uh, at Conan. Are you willing to fly out for the interview? So mm -hmm. I said, sure. Um, this was before Zoom. <laughs> it right. was well before Zoom, yes. yes. So uh, Zoom was a children's show. Yes. So I took a <laughs> propeller plane to New York and I met with Mike Sweeney. And I reminded wow. Mike that... He and I had done stand-up together in Patterson, New Jersey. Outdoors. Outdoors. I remember that. I, I remember that gig. And I remember it because you gave me a ride back to Manhattan. That's right. <laughs> we, we had a great time. Wow. Except for doing comedy outside, which, of course, exactly. a comedian will tell you, is not ideal. But I had to remind you that we had done that at least eight or 10 years before. Right. So flying back was kind of, it was odd to see you again. You had my sample material. They told right. me to write up, a, a, you know, some, some jokes. Right. And I had a bunch of stuff, of course, you know, material from the Dennis Miller show, material from Politically right. Incorrect. Mm -hmm. And then what I loved about Conan, of course, was that you could also do whimsical, weirdo stuff, character-based stuff that the other shows just were not, you know, they were much more verbal. Much more monologue type joke. And topical. Monologue joke. Exactly, exactly. Now, uh -huh. Conan had that element at the top. Right. Uh, but then it would just veer into... Um, Characters like uh, Brian McCann's Preparation H. Raymond. Right, right. Uh, yes. <laughs> not exactly topical. Not exactly. Well, it's a topical ointment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When I got word that uh, that I was going to go be flying up for an interview, my wife at the time, Heidi, said, oh, well, then you're going to get it. And I thought, wow, I wish I had her confidence. But that was... Well, you came so highly recommended. I always remember, I don't know if Dennis Miller told Conan this or who told us that they're like, you were just such a killer, great writer. And also in the writer's room, you were often the guy, Dennis Miller, who would kind of have the last funny line in the room that would kind of literally end the conversation. Cause it was so funny. Wow. That's so, a great reputation oh, wow, that's to really have. Nice. And, and I think we all <laughs> you know what? That is something you lived up to the, mm -hmm. your entire time at Conan, I would have to say. Oh I don't know gosh. if I ever told you about that, but that's... No. I, I Oh, yeah. No, that would have been nice to hear. I, I feel like I died. <laughs> and this is a eulogy. <laughs> fuck him. And fuck him about the compliments. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it wouldn't, you wouldn't want to get inside your head. I'm sure I'd probably tell you that at some time. I was... Yes. You... you yeah. Yes. I've, I've heard very nice things from you uh, over the years. So. <laughs> <laughs> All insincere. Oh. <laughs> no, no one dishes phony compliments like Mike Sweeney. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but seriously, you you were uh, highly allotted. Oh, it's, no, it was at the time, I think I joined Andy Blitz was there. Alison Silverman uh-huh. was there. Uh-huh. Of course, Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Michael Gordon and, and what I call the Briangle, uh-huh. Brian Stack, Brian, uh, uh-huh. Brian Kylie, and Brian McCann. Brian McCann. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was the golden That's right, Brian three Brians. Yeah. And what were your immediate thoughts of the show or of the writer's room? Do you have impressions from those early days? So before I got a, a, an actual career writing on TV, I had been part of a, of a theater sketch comedy group in Charlotte, North Carolina called The Perch. And we had a 60-seat theater above a shoe store. It was seat of the pants. You you know, we wrote, tried to write a new show every week. And Conan was like The Perch with a budget, with a huge, like you had <laughs> real costumes, real makeup, real special effects, real prop masters, people who could make yeah. anything uh, right. and, and could turn it around really fast. So I feel like I leveled up from this... Um, from the shoe store. From the shoe store, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got a real nice pair of kicks. Yeah. It was touch and go for a while, but uh, I'd have to give the edge to the Conan show. By the time I got on it, 2002, Conan had hit his stride. There was a mm-hmm. generation of writers before me that really kind of founded the voice of the show. Right. Would you agree? Absolutely. Well, and was that part of, I mean, when you had heard there was an opening, were you you know, familiar with the show's comedy and and you thought, oh, I think this would be a good fit. I'd like to work there. Or were you kind of applying all over the place? I was applying all over the place. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was applying for the uh, the late night show on CBS as well, which was again in that CBS oh. television city building where a right. lot of this stuff was being shot. So in the end, actually, I had to choose between staying in LA and, uh, and oh, going wow. to New York. And I chose New York because I, it just seemed like a more fun show to do. Oh, did you have an offer from that CBS show? Yes. Yes. Oh, I never knew that. Yes. Wow. So that's really, that made the decision, I think, a lot harder. Oh yeah. Especially with a new baby and just a lot of thought going into it. I think the quality of the shows or the show's voices were so different that it really wasn't too much of a, Mm. too much Mm -hmm. of a stretch. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we were also excited about living in New York City. Right. The interview yeah. was at 30 Rockefeller. With a job. With prospects. And and right. my wife had never lived in New York City before, and she was very excited. So we stayed there from 2002 to Conan Got the Tonight Show. Right. And uh, it was really tough to, to move back to L.A. And more for her because she had fallen deeply in love with New York City. Mm. Oh. And of course, our kid was in school there, PS 187. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then back we came yeah. for the Tonight Show. And then the TBS show. So I've been on three, if you count the travel shows, four you know, incarnations. Kind of keeps getting reincarnated. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm still one of his minions. <laughs> How soon after you started as a writer did you end up on camera? Do you remember? Everybody has an inner ham. <laughs> I think I think that's part of the reason why you could you would want to write for Conan if you had mm. some kind of performance desire or something. Uh, I don't know if it was about a less than a year in. I pitched. I guess there were dating reality shows going on, right. and I asked to do a pre-tape where I was going on a date um, that I had to pay for, and it and it turned out to be a. I was going to be with a prostitute or something, but I had no uh-huh. idea. And uh-huh. that was the, that was the, uh-huh. the idea anyway. And uh, I would say it was a B, solid B effort. Uh, the one who carried the day on that particular show was Andy Blitz, who it was, again, the, the idea was these new reality dating shows. And he had decided to date himself. And he was going on a confession cam and saying, yeah, I picked myself up uh, right. around eight o'clock and uh, we went dancing. And <laughs> Oh, right. I remember that. Do you remember yeah. this? And yes. So yes. I just remember thinking, okay, that's that's the way it's done. Wow. So it, <laughs> it took you almost a year before you started appearing in things? I shouldn't say I shouldn't say that because yeah. such was the, the pace of the show right. that you would throw anything wooden into a fire. Like mm-hmm. if you needed the fuel... You would say, "Okay, uh, we need Jose. Get in there and you know, put on the outfit or, right. or whatever." And that, yeah, that sort of seat of the pants, last minute thing. But I, I guess what I'm going for was the the first thing I remember 
recording or, or you know, taping mm-hmm. for, for the show and then presenting at rehearsal mm-hmm. was oh, that yeah. uh, reality dating show. But uh, yeah, I'm sure I, I did <laughs> some, some walk on character on new characters or things uh-huh. like that, which are right. Well, but it's also different to write something for yourself versus to be a player in someone else's sketch. Cause when it's, when you've written it and you're performing in it, there's sort of two levels on which to worry. Yeah, that's true. But what, let me ask you this, uh, Jesse, when you're performing for somebody else's sketch, do you put more pressure on yourself than when you're doing it for your own sketch? Yes. That's a good point. Cause you think, Oh, I'm going to make or break this. Yes. Not the writing. And yet when I've written it, it's only the writing that matters. <laughs> Okay. So it just, it's a, it's a double bind. Yes. It is a double bind. I don't, <laughs> I, I'm such a people pleaser. I don't want to ruin anybody's yeah. bit right. with either a live flub up or, and I always right. say, listen, if you didn't get it, if we're like taping something ahead of time, if you didn't get it, just ask me to do it again. Just ask right. me to do it again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, uh, I think after a short period of time, once all the other writers get to know you, they're literally writing it like, oh, this is perfect for Jose. Yes. Or this yes. is perfect for Jesse. And and that I would hope would probably relax you a little bit to th- think, okay. Yeah. And they're not going to expect me to do an Australian accent. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They'll fly in Brian Stack for that. Brian Stack would be <laughs> yeah. the Australian. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if your viewers or your listeners can hear the glasses I'm wearing, but I look yes. a lot like a doctor. <laughs> I look like a doctor or, or yes. a, a mm-hmm. mid-level management official. So I put mm. on a lot of ties and a lot of lab coats. Yes, you would play doctors a lot and you'd, uh, or technocrats or people, you know, working in government. Yeah, rubber stampers. <laughs> Anybody who's slightly over their heads. Right, don't right. quite know it and are fumbling a little bit. That was that's my sweet spot because that's where I live in life. Two of my favorite characters you did didn't fill any of those descriptions. Um, one of them I literally just came into my head now, and I'm so glad it came back to me. Captain Fun, Captain Fun, sure. He was, was a children's, you played a children's, a children's uh, TV show host, yeah. When Conan and Andy. <laughs> Or, or Conan and Max Weinberg were having an argument. They were like, that we would script an argument. And then I would step into the doors and I'd say, looks like uh, Conan and Max Weinberg are, are having a fight. This is called, and I would open my hands and a graphic would appear, a conflict. <laughs> Let's see how they resolve it. And then Conan right. would recognize me and go, who are you? Oh, I'm Captain Fun. I, I saw that you guys were fighting and I thought it would be a good time to teach, you know, a lesson about right. conflict to our kids. And I, right. at the time I was asking the props department because I wanted, wanted to have a, a Captain Fun was like a ship's captain. And I wanted to have a parrot that I could pull a string. It would be on a track on my back. It was a wooden parrot that I could pull a string and it would kind of appear on my shoulder. And the, <laughs> The string got jammed and I kept just <laughs> yanking and it wouldn't come up. And it finally oh boy, came up, but Conan it came, loved up, this. came up with a lurch, you know, <laughs> and then of course the timing was off and the VO for the parrot was off. And yes, when, when something misfires, oh boy. especially if it's like, technically yeah. complicated that is his mm-hmm. sugar rush <laughs> mother's milk heroin it sure he is. loves it he loves it <laughs> <laughs> he probably went around and sabotaged the, the little track the oh parrot rode on track. exactly oh he put a penny on the track he was always tinkering with the hydraulics <laughs> yeah what if, what if we go back and everything that went wrong was all sabotaged by him <laughs> Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? 
Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You have a particular talent for, you're also really good at pretending it's not on purpose, but I know it is on purpose for enraging Conan oh. with characters that you do. Yes. Just choosing people who, you know, intentionally are going to frustrate or. <laughs> right. I, I, I like to poke the bear. Push his buttons. I yes. do like to poke the bear. He's kind of has a big brother mm-hmm. vibe to me. Like a t- and you like, have big brother. <laughs> right. Exactly. We both have big brothers. Yes. And I think uh, there's a lot of this. I don't know if we all repeat certain dynamics from our, our lives and stuff. But anyway, that's the, the sort of the grooves that he and I fell into. And it's a lot of, um, you know, obviously he has all the power. He's like, <laughs> And yet, because you're in that pocket of, hey, we're in the same family, I can poke you sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just fun sometimes to to poke him. That's the other character I was going to mention uh, was where you'd play this, the kind of snobby Euro oh. guy in the audience. Mm. Yes, Euro guy. Did you create that organically out of that kind of office back and forth of kind of getting in Conan's face oh, a little bit? good question. To a certain extent, it, it came... Uh, so. <laughs> I think Euro guy came from a lot of things, but I'm from Spain. My parents right. parents are from Spain. So I would go to, when I was a kid, I would go spend summer vacations in Spain. And then we would come back to, uh, to Ithaca, New York. But in that time, I met a lot of people who were very snobby and said, you know, you're Americans. Uh, mm-hmm. You kind of have primitive, uh, you know, ideas about sex and about uh, violence. Right. It's all very simple, very childlike and so on. And I remember these people criticizing me. <laughs> and I never, I had a foot in both worlds. I was Spanish, right. but I was also uh, an American citizen. So, and, uh, and I just exaggerated that character. And I gave him a feat sort of snobby superior shoes like that were right. fashion forward and uh <laughs> with great names <laughs> yes exactly like Stars yes, yes exactly exactly <laughs> so you just dip your feet in, in warm latex and then step on <laughs> chips of cork and those are your shoes <laughs> right right and yes i would sit in the audience and say things like that wouldn't happen in europe you know right. and conan would just <laughs> get interrupted and say could you please not and, you know that's true you'd You'd never admit what country you were from. You'd always never, be, yeah, he'd be like, where Europe. country are you from? Europe. Europe. <laughs> he'd ask what my name was. I'd say Gustavo. And he would repeat it. I'd go, no, 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 Gustavo. Gustavo. And he would say it again, no, 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 no. And so on. So that was. Gustavo from Barcelona. <laughs> Barcelona. But then, then that has become the template for your relationship with him. Yeah. Off camera. Yes. So he latched onto that and yeah. gave that to me as a personality or whatever. And so when we were in mono meetings before the show starts and Conan's pacing and going through the monologue and stuff, suddenly he would turn to me and say, Jose has a tiny little wallet, which has a a quarter of a piece of pear in it. And it's zippered, (laughs) perfectly shaped like a quarter of a pear. And that's his effete European pear holder. And he would just like ad lib these nonsense things Uh that he, he said I would own or have. And, um, and then you'd go out and buy them. Yes, I remember. <laughs> you'd go out and trade. I remember them. when you showed up and you had a, le- a leather folio for your three by five cards. I had yes. an index, and I got that. <laughs> I think I got that like at a B Altman, it's like some fancy store in New York, and I got it because I liked it. I actually I had to cop to that one, but it was like, <laughs> it, was like it was an imitation crocodile leather, and it was bright green and it held nothing but three by five cards. It was yeah. so low tech, but also <laughs> fancy and stuff. <laughs> yes. And I pull it out 
And his eyes just become like saucers. Like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, what is that? What is that? And I happen to have a rail thin pen with that looked like no other pen. And I started making notes with this like tiny, skinny, skinny pen on this crocodile imitation leather. And dipped in liquid ink. It was just, he goes, that enrages me. <laughs> but and you I'd see you you would wait until his eyes were on you yes uh-huh. yes you d- I had and to then you would deliberately pull I it out try, I would slowly pull it out mm-hmm. yes 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 like one dog showing off a bone yes such another. a <laughs> such a provocation it was a private provocateur yes yes, yes. <laughs> But he got back at me because then he started drawing cartoons about me and in that character. Right. Right. <laughs> he would draw a picture of me on a dry erase board. Right. Because uh, Jose is intimidated by a child's balloon. And in my thought bubble, I'm saying, don't make eye contact. <laughs> so he just he just leaned into it. But then you, you and Conan went on to collaborate on some artwork together. Can you We did. So talk I, about that? Yes. So in 2007 I started do, uh, donating. I started yeah, I did donate. I started <laughs> uh submitting cartoons to the New Yorker. The um the Writers Guild was on strike and so we weren't working mm. and I said, "Oh, let me I've always wanted to submit to the New Yorker uh-huh. cartoons and I got a an interview there to submit a pile of my drawings. And um, Robert Mankoff, who was the uh, cartoon editor at the time, looked at my drawings and he said, I think I've said this to you guys before. He goes, we, um, we have a lot of naive artists <laughs> at the New Yorker, but uh, your stuff isn't good enough to be called naive. Oh my <laughs> God. Oh, no. And I burst out laughing. There was no other, like, I think he was, I'm pretty sure he was going for a joke. Yeah. But it was like such a low blow. Let's say. And was. hilarious at the same time. Right. He goes, but you are funny. So keep coming back. And and then months and months later, I, I wound up uh, being able to sell a couple of cartoons to the New Yorker. Oh man. Was that a, literally where you were in his office at the New Yorker, like it was- Yes. Wow. Yes, at the time there was a, again, the show was down. So I would go every Wednesday and Uh sit there with these legends, um, Sam Gross and George Uh Booth and Gahan Wilson I met uh, there. And everyone had to bring them in person? Yes. Wow. Oh, wow. Jack Ziegler. pull out their folio of index cards. Pull out their (laughs) folio of index cards. The only person I wish I'd seen was Roz Chast, who's like famous and great uh, artist. But I felt like a little little child there. These are... Wow. That seems so intense. So now would they all in unison see each other's cartoons at the same like when no, you handed you yours had him, in did these legends see them or no 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 okay. so you All had right. him you had him in your hot little hands and then you would okay. be allowed into the office and then it would yeah. just be you and the editor and he would okay. physically just go boop, boop, and he would hand like 99 percent of them back to you oh, and boy. uh and then you know have a little conversation and then you were on your way and every now and then he'd say okay we'll, we'll see about this one like he would consider them he couldn't say yes or no there because i think it's oh, more wow. of a committee decision at, oh, you know, wow. down the road, he would say, okay, well, this one could work, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Did you and Conan do two comics for The New Yorker or was it one? We did one, but okay. he, he had pitched three different ideas. This is me looking for, because I, you know, it's, it's somewhere I could room. find it. Yeah. No, but <laughs> okay. so the one they bought, his name was not on it. And it was right. the famous George Seurat, right, right, in the right. Park Pointillist painting. Right. And Surah has it on his easel and his thought bubble is this would make a great jigsaw puzzle. Right. <laughs> because that's how most people see that paint. That yes. was Conan's idea and right. he gave it to us and he gave it to me. And I, using very rudimentary Photoshop and stuff, I, I angled an actual illustration of that and yeah, then that drew smart. the rest of it. Drew the artist, yeah. his little, you know, Garrett and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I put it in a batch of submissions and that was the one they bought that week. Oh wow. Yeah, wow. We'll go with this one. And I had And they the didn't pleasure. even know that it was Conan's. <laughs> they didn't know because I put Arroyo O'Brien or something like that. Because oh, sometimes if oh, someone oh. suggests an idea, they didn't right. know yeah. it was Conan O'Brien. So then I had the pleasure of telling Conan, hey, we got it. We got it in. Mm-hmm. No idea when it's gonna come out, but it's in. Wow. And then in April 2019, it finally came out. 
Uh, and yeah, and then I'd somehow I still have the original and I thought, wow, that would be a really cheap Christmas present if I gave him back his drawing. <laughs> yes, smart. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I could, you know, maybe we could hang it up at the studio in at the uh, record, new recording studio or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. He also gave me another idea, but it couldn't be for The New Yorker because it shows a picture of a guy seated on a toilet, his pants are down at his ankles and he's reading a book. And the book is called How to Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the drawing came out great. <laughs> I just don't think it was, uh, I think it was not quite New Yorker's standards. There's only one way to find out. Yeah. Exactly. Submit it. Well, could we really quick, uh, I thank you for bringing up, by the way, the writer's strike, Jose, because I don't think we've talked to anybody about the writer's strike that took place in, was it? 2006? 2006 into 2007. Yes, it was yes. resolved in February, I believe, of that. Or, or, but or you so. were there during that whole time. Yes, yes. And that was the WGA had initiated a writer's strike. I forget what we were striking about then. Was uh, it? Money? I think we wanted less money. <laughs> and we won. And we got our demands, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we always prevail. <laughs> but the writers had to actually physically go on strike. We did. I mean, did you go? We picketed pick it? outside yeah. of Thirty Rock. It was winter, and mm-hmm. we all made oh, provisions. No. Mm-hmm. The Writers Guild's um, organizing committee would send you an email or something and say, "Okay, you're part of this group. Go out to the uh, Astoria Studios in in Brooklyn, or or is it Queens? Queens. I think it must be Queens in Queens, uh, which had a bunch of shows that for NBC, and go out there and pick it for two hours or however long the shift was. I can't remember. Right. I made a lot of friends with people from different shows precisely because we were all out on the street. Yeah. Right. And after our picketing session ended, sometimes we'd be like, oh, you know, like, want to grab go a bite a over here? Got yeah. a, yes, exactly. After a hard a day beer. of picketing. Of picketing, exactly. Let's uh, defend our rights and then go, yeah, have a beer. Mm-hmm. I would compare, because I'd picket too, and talk to writers in LA who were picketing and the writers in LA were much more vigilant about their picketing. Like in New York. Well, the weather was a lot better. The weather was better. Mm -hmm. But in New York, we'd literally stop walking and it would just turn into one big, it was like a cocktail party because it's the way Jose's described. You'd meet all these people you've always wanted to meet or or it's just like a big group of people have all this stuff yeah. in common and people would just stop and start going, oh, well, yeah. Oh, you know him? I know. And joking around and, and then there'd be one person would be like, come on, that would come start on. doing chants again. Pencils and I, I remember down. one time Pencils people down. are like, oh, could you tone it down? We're trying to talk here. Like they literally... <laughs> but then I talked to friends out in LA and, and, you know, they're like smashing on cars driving through. And yeah. There was an incident of violence that I remember hearing about in LA where a writer mm-hmm. got right. his foot smashed or something. Somebody drew, you know, drove past the picketers in a rush and, and hit one of them. Right. I do remember picketing outside of 30 Rock and a person coming up and saying, how do I get a job on Conan? And it was uh, a young man who was really eager hi, to... Hi, I'm a scab. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is your lucky day. I mean, I want to start tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> when you got word that you were, that the strike was over and everyone was going back, were, I mean, were people thrilled? What was the feeling? Mike, you must have gotten the word first, right? That we were heading uh, back or... You were the no, head writer I, at the time, or the writers would hear all the news from the writers' guild at the same time. So, right. overall, it was that was an, a pleasant memory. It was, it was, hmm. uh, I think, very tense and not enjoyable. And also, you didn't know how long it was going to last or when it would end. And I don't know what your experience was, Jose, but I that was the same, same. Not knowing when it was ending it was it was the, the worst part. Right. But it's, I guess yeah. that's the same with the Kellogg strikers now. You know, the, it, that's part of the, right. the the trouble with it. This isn't a romantic, fun experience. Let's not do this again. Yeah. If we don't have to. If we don't have to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so and and for so that was in two thousand and six or two thousand seven, and then by then uh, or close to that time. Conan was saying, well, we, we're, we might pick up stakes and go to L.A. Yeah. Right. So what was that? What was that news like? I mean, I'm sure people were excited, but also you said, Jose, you you guys weren't 
thrilled about moving back to LA. Well, because we had bought a co-op, uh, uh, you know, uh, an apartment in a, yeah. in a co-op building. And so that meant, oh, <laughs> and so the reason we got into the building, we decided to buy there was because they didn't charge you when you sold it. Mm-hmm. And then they voted that if you <laughs> sold your apartment, you would have to pay an X percent fee, seller's fee or something. Right. Oh, no. And we were the first to have to pay it. Oh, so it stung, no. it stung on the way out, which is maybe oh. the, way, <laughs> the way you should leave New York. It's just oh. with a little, little <laughs> bit of grit, a right. little bit of pain. Mm-hmm. We tried to keep the place. And then I said, no. We are going to be at the Tonight Show for at least eight years. Sure, there's no course. reason <laughs> to keep an apartment, uh, you know, in New York. Mm-hmm. Put and it on the market immediately. Let's put it on the market immediately. And so she stayed and dressed it up like she did the, her own staging. My ex uh, did her own staging and made it look fantastic, sensational. It's just a skill, and. So it sold right away. Yeah. <laughs> to our great so chagrin. Eight months later, were you, and then eight were you like, why did you have to make it look so fantastic? Did I say eight years? I meant eight months. <laughs> <laughs> I may have misspoke. Wow. Yeah. So that. Uh... <laughs> it was catastrophic at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I have a writer friend who just says, uh, yeah, I, I can't. Uh, see, he would say something like, I can't afford to go do this now, but I just got to wait for the well to fill up again. Mm-hmm. I like that metaphor where the water just goes down and then slowly it's kind of you know, fills up again. So that was a de- definitely a, a low water yeah. well low moment tide. when the Tonight Show entered. <laughs> low tide, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, kind of got the TBS show. And then the last 10 years at TBS really was him doing, you know, not the limitations of the NBC, right. But I think he had more limitations on budget. So a lot of things that he maybe, you know, we, we could, I don't know if I ever asked for a kangaroo on TBS. That's what I'm getting. <laughs> we could get a llama, though. We got a llama, right. yeah. And I believe there was a baby giraffe on some segment at one oh, point. Oh, yeah. You asked for a kangaroo. They're like, we can get you an opossum. <laughs> <laughs> it is a marsupial. It is a marsupial. Right, right. right. <laughs> can you? There's a pouch. Tweak the script. Yes, exactly. One thing I'll tell you about The Tonight Show. I remember we came out. It was Studio One. And they're like, it was an old studio. And they're like, we gutted it. And we're going to turn it into your... You know, the Tonight Show studio. And I remember going in and seeing the footprint of the studio of what they kind of laid out everything on the floor. And it's like, this is too big. Oh, no. Personally, this was my opinion. I think comedy and live audiences on TV, who cares whether a viewer doesn't care how big the crowd is. Right. I think people work maybe at networks think, oh, wow, there's 600 people that... No, that's to me, that's terrible. Like you don't want more than 200 people in an audience and, mm-hmm. and you kind of want it all compact, just like a comedy club. Yes. Where yes. Lower ceilings. Yeah. The worse it is for COVID spread, the better yes, for exactly. it is for COVID. That's right. Exactly. It's an inverse ratio. Yes. <laughs> this studio was just like, oh, this is too big. Too big. Like that it was, was not only big, it had two levels. So there was a, a, a oh. an upper area that had its own like hallway or whatever. And oh. one of the things we, right. one of the ideas that we had was we're going to have a separate show for the people in the high seats. And we, yes, we had to get a camera, true. a camera up there. And it would be at one time, I think we hired a woman who had trained poodles to walk on their, on their back legs. Right. And, she was, <laughs> and they, they were all kind of running around on their back legs, right. their front paws on the shoulders of the woman. Right. The dog in front, yeah. and it was all just just because their sight lines were so they bad. were too far. Yeah, <laughs> going to want to entertain them specifically. Oh wow! <laughs> Believe me, it, it, the studio was fine. There are so many little things that add up. There were signs, though. Yeah, pushing a show one direction or the other, you know, and right, especially given how it started, which was again very you know small, late night, kind of a small crew. To have it expand, to have the audience size double, I believe, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're yeah. talking about compared to back in New York compared, City. Com- mm-hmm. Compared right. to the yes. first, you know, for a few years on late Right, night. right, right. Yeah. And then I think TBS, it was kind of like a return to that smaller studio footprint. Even though we were in a giant soundstage, 
if they you made walked it in. Smaller. Yes, yeah. but we tried to. We, yes, with a lot tried of drapery and and audience seats that were. You know, yes, we could right, get right, more right, people right. closer together. I remember mm-hmm. the physical size of the Tonight Show became a reason to try to come up with things that right that required. Big doors. Right. And, and I don't know if it was Michael mm-hmm. Coleman or Andrew Weinberg who came up with, because uh, we had a pair of, I don't know, 20 foot tall doors. And they decided- They call them elephant doors, right? Elephant yeah. doors. And yeah. so they came up with two characters who were 20 foot tall <laughs> Mormon missionaries. <laughs> so <we're> not, <laughs> knock on that door. Right, right. <laughs> and so, I think we had elephants on, you know. I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We started doing spectacle things. Yes. To fill the space, it sounds like. It was the age of the dinosaur and the mammals were starting to come in. Mm. Well, sketches got shorter. It was kind of almost like, oh, we have to do quick hits in this big space and then throw to commercial as opposed to New York where... Oh, you'd have a 12-minute sketch. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) these sketches would go on, you know, and then... It had a different energy energy in that regard yes. in terms of the comedy, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you remember, Jose, feeling... I mean, how was that for you as a writer having to kind of adapt to all the new parameters from late night to The Tonight Show to the TBS to show? To The TBS show. Uh, a lot of it is you, you get your cues from the physical uh, surroundings. You know, a bigger space, you try for bigger things and, and smaller is, you know, more you, you money try to work or less money. close up yeah. magic, more money, more budget, <laughs> less budget. Uh, that all informs what you, what you want to do. But then also Conan's sense of humor is also evolving. Mm. And so the stuff that he, you know, enjoyed and, and maybe starts, he would start to tolerate. <laughs> and then at some point he would get sick of because right. he had been doing it for a decade or something. So every now and then I think, Mike, I'm sure you can speak to this. He would, he would say, all right, that's, I don't want to see that sketch or that bit or that idea right. again. Mm-hmm. So that also kind of contributed to us always evolving. And also, I, I think um, one of the plans was to try to come up with all new things yes. for The Tonight Show. And then again, for t- they're very, like once in a while, we'd bring back a reference to the masturbating bear, but we'd all kind of feel dirty doing it. I mean, <laughs> yes, I, I think true. we all agreed. As, we need our own masturbating bear. Right, right, right. <laughs> Still masturbating. Bring in that old possum. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I think just, for our own sake, it was like, let's try to come up with new ideas, new characters yes. or whatever. New house, new furniture, mm-hmm. I think was the thinking. And every now and then, like you said, you would feel bad bringing something, not bad, like because it sucked, not but bad. because it's not challenging you. Right. We're going back to the well of of the comfort, of comfort food or whatever. Comfort food that, you know, the crowd's going to cheer when they see, like fans are going to cheer and it's- Yes, yeah. yes. That gets you through that night, you know, in the short term. <laughs> it does. But, but in the long term, it's- Right, it's expensive though. It's not a good lever to, to try to hit a lot. Yes, so on the TBS show, we had, characters. I'm, I would say Andre Dubachet, one of the writers, did a bunch right. of those um, yes. yeah. where he was the Wahlburgers guy and Tony the cameraman and so on. Right. Those felt perfect for the space yeah. that, we were, that we were performing. Uh, we know you've spent a lot of time off camera with Conan as well. And I was just wondering if you have any favorite memories of behind the scenes moments with Conan. Behind the scenes, moments, uh, on our travel shows, mm-hmm. I think um, a couple of things. We're, when we're traveling, sometimes we're in a lounge together and, uh, you know, it's just him and me and the dynamic stays. <laughs> no, he's, he, there's no guard to drop. There's nothing. But, yeah. uh, but actually, I'm the more nervous of the two because I, I don't know. I, I feel like, oh, this is a big big guy, a big star, you know, and, uh, I, I'm still a little starstruck by him to be honest, mm. but, um, but he's, he's just shown his human side. Um, I've, I've taken pictures of him on a hotel balcony in Australia when we were in Australia uh-huh. and, and we had to go to his hotel room to work on a bit mm-hmm. and he was just staring out at the sky and stuff. I go, I feel like such a like such a camera, you know, whatever, like a cheese ball paparazzo, but it's a great picture of Cohn staring out at the, at the you know, Sydney Opera House or whatever. Oh, yeah. It looks so fancy and stuff. Yeah. I go, well, I'll never, at least I didn't put myself in and just, you know, push my <laughs> thumb <laughs> toward to that. Yeah. Uh, 
but I do miss that. Uh, he has sent me letters. He yes. he got a typewriter. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. He got a manual typewriter as a gift. And because, you know, he respects these classic authors from the 20th century, like Dorothy Parker, mm-hmm. he decided to write witty letters on, <laughs> on his typewriter. Yeah. And I have several of those. And so that's where he great. kind of has written me fan letters. And yes. I, mm-hmm. I'm tickled to have them. I mean, that's, no, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're in, at the top, it's like, from the desk of Conan O'Brien. From the desk of Conan O'Brien, yes. And dear sir. And, and there's sometimes dear, little typos, probably intentional. Right. Probably intentionally has to make himself look like he look human look fallible mm-hmm. no and they fit perfectly on one page you know it's just yeah. yes like did he plan this out in uh, advance yeah, exactly. or is he really that good <laughs> so i have a, a few of those framed yeah me too no they're great they're great i also have a framed headshot of him that i got i think eight years working with him says i look forward to meeting you someday <laughs> <laughs> and could you plug your book quickly? Oh yeah. Oh, uh, so I so as soon as uh, the show ended in June with uh, Conan, I had the time to finish a comic book that I've been working on called Somewhere in L.A., mm-hmm. a book of hours, and it's basically what could be happening in Los Angeles at every hour of the day. Uh, so at 3.29 a.m., something's happening. At 4 in the morning, something's happening and so on. So 24 panels, 24 jokes or or observations, mm-hmm. some of them funny, some of them wistful. Boy, does this sound like I've said this a lot? So- <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's both funny and moving. It's great. I appreciate that. And anyway, it's available on Amazon. And I was telling someone on a, I said, if you think I'm donating money to, a, you know, Jeff Bezos, please look at my sales numbers. <laughs> I am just, although I got to say, I was texting, I was about to text Conan because I got a sales bump when he said something nice on Twitter oh, about great. somewhere in LA. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to show him the Conan spike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Three extra sales. Three extra sales, <laughs> exactly. I tripled my numbers. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jose. Thanks, Jose. Thank you so much. That was just great. All right, be well, guys. And that was our friend and colleague, Jose Arroyo. Thanks for dropping by, Jose. Yes, thank you. I always love talking to Jose. And hey, if you want to thank Jose <laughs> and us, and if you like the show, you can support us by rating Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast on iTunes and leaving us a review. Yes. And don't, you know, don't feel pressure about what's in there. Just the five stars and a, it's perfect. Right goes a long way. You could even just type the word perfect. And that's ambiguous. Yes. It can be all lowercase. Lowercase stars. <laughs> and we have a fan question today. We do. We've been getting a lot of fan questions. Well, they don't specifically say they're a fan. It's a listener question. You're right. I Well, <laughs> I thought you could hear the quotes in my voice. Yes. What's the question today? It says, hi, Jesse and Mike. Love the show. Oh, they are a fan. Sorry for the long email, but after hearing about the question shortage, I wanted to do my part. <laughs> question shortage. <laughs> supply, the supply yes. of questions. Mm-hmm. They've been backed up at the Port of Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Number. This is just number one. We're only going to answer one of the, they, this person gave us many questions, but I'm not sure you can answer this on the podcast or at all. Oh. Guess what? You're about to have your mind blown. <laughs> I went to a taping of Conan a couple years ago, and during his monologue, certain jokes were accompanied by a sign that lit up and said, applaud, or something to that effect. It's applause. Yes, it's just applause. Yes. To elicit a greater reaction from the audience. The sign did not seem to correspond to the strength of the accompanying joke. <laughs> what a what a great observation <laughs> that everyone who's ever been to a taping of our show has made. How is it determined which jokes get the sign? And is it considered a great honor uh-huh. or great shame to have your joke backlit by the sign? Oh, I I like this question. And that's from Cameron. Thank you, Cameron. With a K. Well, I will say. Yeah, have you run the applause sign before, Sweeney? I ran it for 15 years. Yes. Um, well, there's an applause sign at, I would stand next to our producer, Jeff Ross, in the studio, mm-hmm. which is why uh, I have diminished hearing on my left side from the band. <laughs> Thanks, band. And um, the other applause button was in the control room. And 
Susie in the control room or our assistant director would push that button in and out of commercial breaks and when bands were playing and when guests were introduced. Mm -hmm. But I got to use my applause button during comedy bits. (laughs) Very frugal with the applause button. The only time I would use it would be coming out of the the last joke of the monologue. To kind of give it a little bit of a punctuation on the segment. And because Conan was going from that to the billboard, which is when he'd say the guests. Right. The idea was you have a really strong last monologue joke. So the applause sign, you had to time it so like big laugh, hit the applause sign. So it go from laugh Seamless. Seamlessly into applause. Yes. I mean, a lot of times people just, you know, stu- TV audiences kind of applaud anyway. Yeah, so. they, they're like, all right, it's been eight right. minutes. We're right. getting out of act one. Right. Ready to applaud. So usually the applause sign for the last joke, it's just, you didn't even notice it. But when the last but joke didn't sometimes. work. <laughs> <laughs> they were, oh my God. It was like, a, all of a sudden it was a cattle prod. <laughs> they were just like, what? Applaud for that? Fuck you. Of course they'd applaud, but Usually then we'd be like, oh, let's lose that joke. Lose the last joke. We just edit it out. Yeah. Because if you watched it back, it was so obvious. It was like a long delay and then an applause. Right. Yeah. It was like Cameron was saying. He's like, oh, there was some a joke that didn't do well. Yeah. And then we. Yeah. Usually the applause sign. I mean, because it would occasionally be used. And maybe by the time I came around, the format of the show had changed a little bit. So we would have uh-huh. a comedy bit in act one before the billboards right that's and true so sometimes the applause sign would get used during your comedy bit and it it wasn't a compliment <laughs> hmm, that's interesting so you think it was used to kind of salvage Juice a bad situation a yeah but huh. you know as you're what you're saying also makes sense i think that it it depended where it was because it you needed right. the applause going into the uh, we've got a great show tonight. Right. Right. And then, and then I would hit it going out to, as he was about to go out to commercial, but, but I know I, if something didn't work, I was always like an applause signs, like if it's a comedy bit or something and it was ending and And there wasn't a button on the end. Well, cause that's, Oh, cause now we're getting into, I, I did feel like the, the secret of having a successful, bit on the show was as long as you had a big laugh at the end, right? it would save a lot of laughterless airtime in the middle. <laughs> right. You, I mean, obviously, yeah, you yes. want a big laugh you at the end. You want a big laugh Ho- at the end, but then sometimes Hopefully. whatever you had planned for the end wouldn't get a big laugh. Right. So then it's just kind of hanging there. Yes. But the plan is always to, to hit the applause sign at the last monologue joke and also at the end of, like you're saying, a comedy bit leading into Conan going, okay, that's so-and-so, and we'll be right back with Bloobity Blue right after this. Yeah, because otherwise people don't know it's over. They're still waiting for the, yes. b- the big laugh at the end. Right. It, it's, it, it's sort of, the applause sign says, it's not coming. It's very Pavlovian for every people watching at home, everybody just like, okay, commercial break. Yeah. Yeah. That was my favorite thing when something didn't get the big laugh and yeah. you hit the applause juice button. it juice it i mean conan used to co- would often comment on it just if it was egregious like on the air just like oh boy i know well and i kind of loved watching because they would cut to you the director would sometimes cut to you and jeff or later on matt o'brien and jeff right and you could see you're holding the little right the kill switch <laughs> I think once Conan said, uh, for some reason, called me out during his show, like, oh, it's our head writer, Mike Sweeney. And I just held the the button up on camera and I hit it hard Yeah, and milked the applause. He had to be there. It was pretty funny. (laughs) Uh, Do we have an applause button for our podcast? Oh, my God. I was just thinking that. (laughs) If we did, we would be using it now. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Go ahead, Sean. Insert that applause. We did two live podcasts, right? We did, yeah. Oh. I would do another. They were fun. They were really fun. We didn't need no applause sign. No. 
Oh, well, there might have been one, but they didn't show it to us. There were a lot of exit signs. I remember those. You know what? Alcohol is a suitable applause sign as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, thanks, Cameron. I think we answered the question. Thanks, Cameron. And you know what? If you want to help us with our question shortage, you can call us at 323-209-5303 and just leave a message. You won't have to talk to anybody. Or email us at insideconanpod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. And hey, that's it. That's it. Quick and painless. (laughs) (laughs) Come back for a checkup again next Mm -hmm. week. You'll get a lollipop. Mm -hmm. We like you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Sean Doherty. Our production coordinator is Lisa Byrne. Executive produced by Joanna Solotaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. Engineered and mixed by Will Beckton. Our talent bookers are Gina Batista and Paula Davis. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. It's the Conan Show. Put on your hat. It's the Conan Show. Try on some spats. You're gonna have a laugh. Give birth to a calf. It's Conan. This has been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.